The good news about Jesus is for people from all walks of life, including wealthy people. Here's Pastor Trent Griffith. We are missing missional opportunities if we don't go after those who are advantaged in this world. Because according to Jesus, they got a harder time getting to heaven than the rest of us. And so we need to understand, we have to say the words of the gospel to fill a hole in their hearts that money can never fill. How do you know when God's opening a rich person's heart? They start to feel an unexplainable emptiness. That even though I've got everything the world could offer, it still doesn't satisfy. That's who you're looking for to go and have a gospel conversation with. Welcome to Resonate with Trent Griffith, Senior Pastor of Harvest Bible Chapel in Granger, Indiana. I'm Aaron Paulus. We're in the middle of a series titled, Lift Up Your Eyes. And if you wanna go back and listen to earlier programs, you can find them on our website at harvestgranger.org resonate. Lifting up our eyes means watching for opportunities to share Christ with others. And as we'll hear today, that's something the Apostle Paul did everywhere he went. Today, we'll hear about one of his earliest converts, a wealthy woman named Lydia. Here's Pastor Trent. Let's open our Bibles to Acts chapter 16. That's the same place I asked you to open your Bible. Last week, we're going to be continuing a bit of a narrative story that's preserved for us here in Acts chapter 16 as we continue to think about the theme Lift up your eyes. That's our theme. We've been learning that the Lord wants to do some vision correction surgery on us. First of all, to lift our eyes to see where our help comes from. It comes from the Lord. We learned that from Psalm 121. And then we saw that Jesus used that same phrase when he was sending out his disciples, his missionaries. He wanted their eyes to be lifted up to see the harvest that was white, was ready to be brought in. So vertical eyes, lift up your eyes, produce missional eyes, and we've got a task to do as missionaries. Last week we looked at this definition of a missionary. A missionary is every Christian sent every day into every place where Jesus is not worshiped as Lord of every person. So to be missional, the adjective, means that we adopt the daily posture of a missionary, which means we live in view, eyes wide open to the unfinished task of the Great Commission. So we're going to see five questions here this morning that I'm going to ask you from this narrative of Scripture. Uh, The first question is simply this. Do you see the rich girl? You say, Trent, that's a little offensive. Why would you say that? Because that's what we're about to see right here in Acts chapter 16. Now, just by way of review, remember last week, Paul, the greatest missionary ever, got this creepy midnight vision. He sees this man standing in front of him, and the man says, would you come over to Macedonia and help us? And immediately Paul packed his bags, he got on a ship, and he went in the direction of Macedonia. That's where we pick up the story in verse 11. So, setting sail from Troas, we made a direct voyage to Samothrace, and the following day to Neapolis, and from there to Philippi, which is the leading city in the district of Macedonia. A Roman colony 
and we remained in this city some days. It doesn't tell us how many days. He saw a vision of a man, a man from Macedonia, which is what it tells us back up in verse 9. When he gets off the boat, who do you think he was expecting to meet at the dock? So he's looking around. Anybody got like a Apostle Paul sign? You know, looking for that guy because I was the one that sent the vision, right? But he doesn't see him. As a matter of fact, apparently it takes him several days to even kind of get oriented. Now he's probably thinking, why did the Lord send me here? And did I just eat some bad pizza a couple of days ago? And did I even arrive in the right place? And he's probably thinking about going home. But then he makes a decision in verse 13. And on the Sabbath day, we went outside the gate to the riverside where we supposed there was a place of prayer. How many of you think by a riverside would be a great place of prayer? Think you could do some pretty awesome praying by a riverside better than, you know, the chaos of your home or whatever. So he goes to the place of prayer. He's probably, what do you think he's praying about? Lord, why did you send me here? Lord, is there anybody here that you sent me to? Where's this guy that sent me the vision? That's probably what he's praying about. So while he's praying, notice we sat down and spoke to the women who had come to gather. Paul turns the place from talking to God to a place where he starts talking about God. He was probably looking for a man from Macedonia, but he starts talking to the women. The call didn't say who he was going to meet. It just was a man from Macedonia that says, come over and help us. And remember, if you look at the end of verse 10, it says, we concluded that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. It doesn't say him. It says them. That's what it means to be a missionary. Because Paul was going to talk to a person that was completely different than him. Paul was a man. These were women. Paul was Jewish. They were Gentile. Paul was not rich, but we're about to find out the woman he's going to talk to is rich. So listen, if you are a white suburban male of average income and average height, and you are looking to be a missionary only to white suburban males with average income and average height, you are going to miss a boatload of people that God wants you to be a missionary to. Paul could have sat there and prayed, God, would you please send me somebody to to share the gospel with? God, would you just please open the doors of somebody? God, just send somebody. And if all he's looking for is somebody that looks like him, he would have missed the answer to his prayer that was right in front of him. So it says that one of these women, verse 14, one who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods who was a worshiper of God... The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. And after she was baptized, her household as well, she urged us, saying, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. 
This is what we call a divine appointment. We like to talk about divine appointments. Anybody have an appointment book, any appointments on your calendar this week? Do you have a busy week? You know who you're going to meet and where you're going to meet and what you're going to talk about. You have some appointments. Well, there are some appointments that you have this week that you don't even know about yet. And they're not on your appointment book, but they are on God's. There are people that God is going to put you in line with that he wants you to have a gospel conversation with. And if you don't lift up your eyes, you're not going to make it to your divine appointment. So who will God send you to? Sometimes he'll send you to the rich girl. They're out there and they're just like Lydia. What do we know about Lydia? Interestingly, one of the things that we find out about her is that she was, verse 14 says, a seller of purple. Can you buy purple? I mean, do you go to the mall and buy purple? Yes, you do, as a matter of fact. You do because it's in the form of a dye. It's usually chemically or synthetically, you know, based, and you just... You put a garment in it, it turns purple. Or some of you actually put purple on your face. It's called makeup. and All kinds of different ways to do purple around here. How many of you have purple on today? Raise your hand if you've got purple on. Be proud of the purple people in church. Look at these people. Now, lift your, just keep your hand in the air. Do these people look any more rich than you do? Do these people? No. No, it's just average people. But listen, average people didn't have access to purple in Bible times. Lydia wasn't average. Lydia was rich. They didn't have chemicals or synthetic compounds to make purple with. So how do you think you made purple clothes back in the day? I did a little research and I found out that there is actually a species of sea critters, snails, that produce a purple secretion. And you... If you wanted to sell purple, you actually had to go get the purple from the snail. The snail didn't volunteer it, so you had to milk the snail. I don't know if they had like, here in Indiana, we're familiar with milking dairy farms. I don't know if they had milking snail farms back there. And I found out that it produces such a small amount, you needed 24,000 snails to produce one ounce of purple dye. So Lydia was a seller of purple. I don't know if that means she had a snail farm somewhere. Maybe she had married a snail farmer. He was in manufacturing. She was in sales and marketing. And together they made a great team. And they probably had this great business. They sold purple together. She was a successful businesswoman. And Paul engages her in this conversation. Another thing that's interesting about this is the place that she went to sell the purple. Where was this conversation taking place? The place of prayer. Did you know that some people come to church for the wrong purpose? Did you know that some people are so committed to being good salesmen In order to increase their sales, they go to where the people are. And do you know where the people of Michigan are on Sunday morning? They're in church. And so there are a lot of business people that go to church for the wrong reason. They're trying to sell something. 
I don't know if that was Lydia's motive, but I do find it interesting. It could be that she was a very compassionate woman that felt sorry for the way that all the Christians dressed in their drab, colorless clothing. And so she was maybe there to provide a little joy in their life. And, and so she shows up. Now, again, we're speculating a little bit, but if she's a seller of purple, how do you think she sold it? How do you think she was dressed when she showed up? How many of you think she was dressed in like gray? No. What, what was she wearing? She's probably wearing purple. She probably has some purple eyeliner on. And she's there modeling for what she wants other people to buy from her. Right? So she is a very rich woman. And it also tells us this that's very interesting in the story. It says she was a worshiper of God. Good news, bad news. Good, good for you, Lydia. You're a worshiper of God. We know she was a Gentile. She's from Thyatira. And so she wasn't Jewish. She didn't, she didn't grow up as a child of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and that whole story that we've learned about in the Old Testament. But she probably was introduced to the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob from a Jewish believer. And so she probably had some Old Testament knowledge. She probably knew that there was one God. And to whatever degree that she could, she was a worshiper of God. Did you know that some salesmen will do anything to increase their sales? Even pray? Maybe she showed up at the place of prayer because sales were down that month. Like, Jesus, would you increase the sales? That's not a bad prayer. It's not the best prayer. It's not the best motive to pray. So we don't know exactly why she was there, but we know that she had some knowledge of God and she had some means to riches. But the Lord had not yet opened her heart. Do you see it there in verse 14? It says, The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by the Apostle Paul. As pretty and cute as these babies were up here, they've got a problem with their hearts. Do you know what it is? They're closed to the Lord. You say, how can you say that? They're so cute and so precious. Yeah, but they are closed to the heart of God until or unless God opens their heart. The same is true with you. You were born with a closed heart. The heart of man is sinful. It's, it's allergic to God and, and attracted to sin. That's what the scripture tells us about the human heart. And until God opens the heart... You can try all your man-made attempts to worship God and sell purple, but you're not going to have a genuine relationship with the Lord. I'm praying for some of you this morning that God would open your heart. Did you know that a preacher can't open a heart? That's the only reason I could sleep last night. If I thought that 16 or 1,700 people were coming to hear me talk to them about God this morning, and it was my responsibility to pry open the heart, I would be psychotic. Did you know that there are some preachers in some churches that are committed to trying to pry open the heart? And that's why they water down the gospel or that's why they try different techniques or tricks to try to get you to believe something that you really don't believe, but they want to kind of put it out there in a way that it would be attracted. Listen, I know that your heart is closed. 
and you're not listening to anything I have to say, and you're certainly not going to respond to it unless God opens your heart. And that's what needed to happen for Lydia. Is your heart open? I don't know about you, but I've noticed that uh, we're living in a day where it just seems like hearts are more closed than ever before to the heart of God. Have you noticed that? When I first became a Christian and uh, I got a passion to share the gospel, I took a, an evangelism training class at my church. It was called Evangelism Explosion, and it was kind of a 17-week you know, training course on how to put some words together and maybe some Bible verses and kind of have a train of thought and starting gospel conversations. And, and they trained us to start a gospel conversation with two questions. Number one, if you were to die today, do you believe that you would go to heaven? Number two, if you were to die today and you were to stand before God and he were to ask you, why should I let you into my heaven? What would you say? Now, I've had hundreds of conversations started around those two questions. But I just don't know that those are the right questions anymore. Do you know why? Because those questions assume a lot of things. Number one, it, it assumes that people actually have a consciousness of God. Number two, it assumes that people know they're going to die. People don't, they live with this concept of immortality. Number three, it kind of threatens them like I'm going to kill them on the spot. It's a little defensive, you know, like if you were to die right now, you know, would you hold a gun to my head and like make a decision for Christ right now? No, that's not our team. That's the other team. So the other thing, it assumes that they understand that they're going to be held accountable before God for their behavior. And number five, it assumes that they understand there is a place of separation from God in the afterlife if you even believe in an afterlife at all. I don't even know if those are the right questions anymore in a post-Christian culture. So the, the questions that people have to, to grapple with are, are more serious than that. Maybe the better question is, do you believe in a transcendent God who has spoken through His Word? Do you believe that your behavior has actually angered God? He's not a fan. And do you believe that the only way you can be made right with this God is through a mediator, His Son, Jesus, who died on a cross in your place to actually divert the anger of God to Him so you wouldn't have to experience it? Do you, do you believe, and that this guy actually rose from the dead. Maybe that's the best question. Do you believe that God can make dead things live? And so those are questions. I don't know if those are the right questions either. I just know that we have to understand that we're living in a culture that doesn't speak our language. And in order to be missional, we have to get to the heart of the issue. Our responsibility is to open our mouths. God's responsibility is to open the heart. What does God have to open the heart of a rich girl to? Think about this. Um, you think about Lydia's heart. What, what was going on in her heart? Well, we know she was rich, but God had to open her heart to the poverty of her soul. Jesus talked about rich people. Do you know what Jesus said about rich people? Jesus said rich people um, have a hard time going to heaven. It's harder for rich people to go to heaven. By the way, if you're sitting there thinking, I'm so glad I'm not a rich people. Compared to who? Do you realize that you are part of the 2% richest people on the planet who have ever lived just because of where you were born? You're a rich people. 
and you're going to have a hard time getting to heaven because of all the stuff you've got. Jesus said it's harder for a rich person to go to heaven than to go through the eye of a needle. Why is that? Jesus later taught us it's impossible to serve both God and money. Do you know why? Because both God and money make the same promise. Both promise to save you if you will serve them. And yet money is lying. And the reason we know that is because even the rich people in this room, they're thinking, I just need a little more so I can be happy. If I just had a little more, I would be safe and secure. You never get to the point where money fulfills its promise. God, on the other hand, offers you significance, security, and salvation if you will submit your life to Him. And so God has to convince you that your money can't do what God can do. God has to open your heart to see that even though you have riches in the bank, you have nothing in your heart that can purchase and pay the debt of your sin. God has to open your heart. God had to open Lydia's heart to the fact that she was destitute before God, even though she had all of these riches. And so we need to understand the same thing is true for the people that we're, we're talking to. And we do a lot of things. We talk a lot. The church talks a lot about things that we should do for the down and the out and those that are disadvantaged and poor. But listen, we are missing missional opportunities if we don't go after those who are advantaged in this world. Because according to Jesus, they got a harder time getting to heaven than the rest of us. And so we need to understand, we have to say the words of the gospel to fill a hole in their hearts that money can never fill. How do you know when God's opening a rich person's heart? They start to feel an unexplainable emptiness. That even though I've got everything the world could offer, it still doesn't satisfy. That's who you're looking for to go and have a gospel conversation with. God has to open the heart not only to the poverty of the soul, God has to open the heart to the exclusivity of worship. The Bible says she was a worshiper of God. To whatever degree she was a worshiper of God, she wasn't an exclusive worshiper to God. As a matter of fact, maybe she was going through the motions of her prayers and her practice of religion, and yet she'd never been introduced to the one who was God, Jesus Christ. Not until Paul opened his mouth and shared about Jesus did she have the opportunity to bridge the distance between her and this God that she worshipped way out there. Let me ask you this question. Even though the Bible says she was a worshiper of God before she heard about Jesus, now that she heard about Jesus, if she'd rejected Jesus, would she have gone to heaven or hell? Hell. Why? Because she rejected the very one who was God. Whatever her false understanding is of the God that she worshipped, it wasn't the accurate God in the person of Jesus Christ. I am burdened for so many people that maybe grew up religious. You grew up with sacraments and catechisms and forms and ceremonies of religion. You walked through all these religious ornate ceremonies because you thought you were worshiping God. And yet, if you think that somehow any of that is a substitute 
for the only thing that could save your soul, Jesus on a cross in my place as a substitute for my sin. If you're taking that and all the ceremonial religion, it's false worship. It is Jesus and Jesus alone that brings salvation to the soul, the exclusivity of worship. God's got to open your heart to that. And if he opens your heart to the only one who can save, you will reject everything else that you think can save you. God has to open your heart to the filthiness of sin. Did you notice what happened after she paid attention to what Paul was saying? Very next report we have. And after that, she was baptized. Now, I want you to imagine this, okay? She's already by a riverside, and she's wearing purple. Let me ask you a question. Most rivers that you've seen, do you think of purple? Do you think of clear? What do you think of? Brown, dirty, filthy water. Here is this rich girl in this rich outfit, this beautiful, costly garment. Externally, she was beautiful, but God opened her heart to the filthiness on the inside. And maybe for the first time in her life, she saw the ugliness of her sin before God. And she repented of it. She trusted Christ for salvation. She was internally clean. But it says she was baptized. What is baptism? I've explained this before, but you're telling the story of Jesus who lived, died for our sin, was buried, and raised to new life. And what you say when you're baptized is like, I'm with that guy, that guy that was buried, raised, that's me, that's my team, I'm on that team. I want everybody to know it. I don't care who knows it. I, that's, and you're telling a second story. You're telling this. I was alive, but I realized that because of my sin, my sin killed me. What do you do with a person who's been killed? Bury them. But good news is I got brand new life in Jesus. We're starting over. You're telling your story. Lydia understands this. She says, I want to be baptized. But do you see what she does? She goes down beautiful on the outside. And she comes up beautiful on the inside. Because God has washed away the filthiness of her sin on the inside. Now listen, be careful. Baptism doesn't save you. Baptism doesn't wash sin. It is the external expression of something that God does when he opens the heart. Have you been baptized? Or have you just gone through the religious ceremony? Maybe you were baptized when you were a little kid and all that stuff. As a believer that God has opened your heart... Have you been baptized as a way of demonstrating that you have understood your sin is filthy, your worship must be exclusive, and your soul needs to be filled because it's, it's enslaved with poverty? So are you on the lookout for open hearts and the people that you encounter? Pastor Trent Griffith has been reminding us that open eyes do look for open hearts, and those open hearts have to be opened by God Himself. Well, if your own heart is becoming more aware of the ugliness of sin and the beauty of Christ, you can thank God for what He's up to in your life. And would you let us know? There's an easy way to send us a message at harvestgranger.org resonate. Toward the bottom of that page, it says, send us a message. We'd love to hear from you and about how God is using this program Resonate in your life. 
Again, to contact us, go to harvestgranger.org resonate. Well, if you're interested in finding out more about Harvest Bible Chapel, check out our homepage at harvestgranger.org. That's also where you can learn about how to join us for a worship service. Well, next week, we'll hear about another girl from Acts chapter 16. Her circumstances were different from Lydia's, but her need for a savior was just the same. Pastor Trent concludes this message next week. I hope you'll join us then. Well, thanks for listening today. I'm Aaron Paulus, and my prayer is that God's word would resonate in your heart and mind this week. Resonate with Trent Griffith is a radio ministry of Harvest Bible Chapel Granger. Visit us online at harvestgranger.org.